0: Well, if you have your Bible with you this morning, please turn with me. Once again, I'll be saying this one more time after this to 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16. We are now to verse 13 in this chapter, and our focus text will be verses 13-13. Through 18, verses 13 through 18. Hear now the holy, the inerrant, and inspired, and infallible Word of God written for you and for me today. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you also submit to such, and to everyone who works and labors with us. I am glad about the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, for what was lacking on your part they supplied. For they refresh my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. And may God add his blessing on the reading of his word to us. Join me once again as we ask for his blessing on the preaching of his word. Our gracious God and heavenly fathers, we have just heard and received your very word into our ears. We pray for your spirit's work that your spirit would open our hearts and that we would truly understand and know and grow in understanding and admiration of you and the truth that you have for us here. Oh Lord, bless us now, we pray. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, throughout this letter, The Holy Spirit has used the Apostle Paul to be a shaping and a guiding influence to God's people. He has corrected and and shaped the Corinthian and and our knowledge and understanding about worldly wisdom and heavenly wisdom, for example. He has helpfully taught us how heavenly wisdom should look and play out in our daily lives. Paul has also honed and sharpened our view of Jesus Christ and the purity of his gospel. It is such glorious good news for sinners, and the message of Christ and the cross truly is the power of God and the wisdom of God, praise the Lord. But Paul has also guided and directed us on broader matters in the Christian life in this letter and how Christians walking and worshiping together as Christ's church is to look like as we're to live and we're to love and have fellowship and right relationship with one another in the body. These are all important things that weren't only to be corrected once in Corinth, but all such correction and realignment of bringing us back and growing us and walking worthily in accord with the word of God has needed maintenance as we move forward together. None of these words, none of these words in 1 Corinthians, none of these words in scriptures are just to be one-offs, never to be repeated or to be reminded of again. No, we need regular maintenance in these very truths and practices of God as we walk forward together. Many aspects of effective guidance and correction are carried out through the teachings of the Gospels, along with epistles of apostles like Paul and Peter, James and John in the Scriptures, as the Holy Spirit works in and through his word in our hearts. But another important facet of ministry is, is that which is done face-to-face. And Paul's been teaching us about this most recently, hasn't he? And thus we've seen wonderful fruit of the Lord's work in churches being planted and blooming by God's grace, coupled with ongoing ministry through apostolic and pastoral visitation. In addition to and in support of the ministry of the local leadership of the congregation. In-person, face-to-face ministry is essential in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's this kind of visitation that would be an added benefit and a grace to the Corinthian church. It was one that they needed to look forward to and to prepare for, Paul said. Knowing the love of their pastors as they would journey to them again. Paul talked about the upcoming visits that they planned for, that they hoped for in God's good providence, if he would permit. And so they needed to be ready. And so having shared their plans, Paul goes on in our text to give some final exhortations. And these exhortations are really centered on the saints' need for bravery and for devotion and for fellowship. Let's look at Paul's commands to watch and to be brave and to be strong in verses 13 and 14. Also, his words regarding devotion and serving the saints in 15 and 16, and refreshment in Christian fellowship in verses 17 and 18. But Paul begins in verse 13 by saying, Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave and be strong. Now, considering all that the saints in Corinth had gone through in their short time as a church, considering all the changes that needed to take place in their midst, and and really to answer the important question of, what do I want to leave you with, beloved, in this letter? What is important? What do y'all need to do now as Christians, as Christ's church? We see that Paul begins his exhortations with five poignant action items, five commands. And we find the fifth in verse 14, of which we'll consider in a moment. But notice in verse 13 that he begins with watch, watch. And remember that those who watch aren't those who are lazy or are asleep on the job, so to speak. Or are otherwise willing to let the wolves in and to wreak havoc on the rest of the sheep? No, no, no. To to watch means to be awake and alert. It means to be on guard. To keep the evil out and to preserve the purity that is within. The Corinthians needed to prayerfully consider this and heed this. It was a command. And this command to watch was for the health and the well-being of the flock, especially considering the worldly influences that had practically made that body dull and, and numb in their guard. In some ways, they were unaware of what had crept in. In other ways, they were unconcerned about what poison was already in their veins, along with the deceivers that fed it to them. You know, we need to hear and heed Paul's words to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5 in this regard, considering this command to watch. 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning in verse 5, Paul said, You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of love and faith, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wonderful command, very similar and being sober and watchful with a wonderful reason, because of the wonderful gospel redemptive work of Jesus Christ for us, and therefore what we must do. Further, Jesus calls us in Matthew 24, verse 42, to do what? He says, watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Beloved, watching involves a life and a commitment to diligent obedience. We know the lures and the threats of our flesh. We know the lures and the threats of the world and the devil. But we need, wonderfully, to know the commands and the grace of God at work in us to be watchful. Again, what he calls us to do, he equips us to do. Watch, he says, And therefore, he will enable us to watch. We must watch and be on guard and not let that down. But he also, secondly, in verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says that they needed to stand firm in the faith. And so as the Corinthians were watchful, they also needed to stand their ground in the face of the enemy. They needed to stand upon and to stay true to the doctrine of the Scripture. Remember, they had wandered from that in many regards. They needed to come back to this, be awake, be alert, and watch, and and stand fast, and stand firm in the faith refuse to give in or to give way to the wisdom of the world or to be further corrupted by it. And and by the way, Corinthians, any of that wisdom of the world that has already corrupted you, we need to get it out. We need to get the leaven out of the lump. We need to purge it. We need to make the lump pure again for the glory of Christ, your King, your Lord, your head. The saints needed to stand in the full armor of God, as Paul told Ephesus in Ephesians 6. Standing in the faith of the, the, faith of the gospel to the very day that they died. All the way to the end. It wasn't just a short-term commission. It wasn't just a sprint. No, this was the run of endurance. All the way to the end. Stand fast in the faith till you die. The Lord takes you home know also that Paul further reiterated this truth to Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 23 and 24 when he said this, moreover I call God as witness against my soul that to spare you I came no more to Corinth not that we have dominion over your faith but are fellow workers for your joy for what for by faith you stand. We can't stand without faith. We don't stand outside of faith. We stand in the faith. By faith, we stand. Paul also pressed the importance of this to the saints in Philippi in Philippians one twenty-seven, When he told them, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for what? For the faith of the gospel. The faith of the gospel. Beloved, we must be fixed in the faith of the gospel and never desert it, never depart from it. It's by faith alone that we will be able to take such a stand and to hold our ground by the grace of God. And so yet being watchful and standing firm requires fortitude. It requires fortitude, and this is where Paul goes next to Corinth. He says, be brave and be strong. A watchful stand takes courage and strength. When the enemy is assailing us, beloved, when the enemy is coming from all, from all sides, from the top, from the bottom, from all around, it can be a place if we're not standing firm upon Christ, upon His word, upon His promises, upon our most holy faith. It can be a time where it is a very fearful thing, where we get scared easily. We back down, we, we let the wolves in, even into our own hearts, let alone our families or the body. But yet the Lord says, be brave be strong. Be strong in the Lord. It takes courage and strength. And notice two things in these two commands. In the Greek, both of these two commands are in what is called the middle voice. And again, I'm not getting Greek nerdy on you. Just follow me for a second. This is wonderful. It's beautiful. It's in the middle voice, which means that as the Corinthians were being courageous and strong, they were also taking benefit from doing so. The Lord was blessing them and would bless them as they followed these commands. They would and we will, beloved, be blessed by the Lord in such courage. Again, He calls us to do this. He commands us to do this. He equips us to do this. And He blesses us in obedience as we do it. Praise the Lord. But also know that the words be brave. Those two words is one word in the Greek that literally also means act like men. Act like men. And what does Paul mean by this? Refusing to act like children or or any who would be non-courageous or effeminate or otherwise, Christians need to have a firm resolve as Christian soldiers standing in brave opposition to those who would seek to divide us from without or from within. We need to stand in brave opposition against those who would lure us away from Christ. And therefore, we act courageously in staying steady in Christ. This was such a wonderful command. Just this one verse even. They could take it home and chew on it, the Corinthians could, and be blessed for a long, long time in following it. In light of where they were and where they had fallen. But yet, hear these words today. Remember what Paul prayed God the Father would grant his people in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14 where he said this, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that what? That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. In the inner man. This isn't just some outside or external strengthening and and even that would be wonderful coming from the living god but this is internal strengthening internal within the inner man with might through his spirit who dwells in you such a wonderful work of the lord he goes on to say that christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love and the corinthians needed to hear this too didn't they may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Hear these words over and over again, equipping, strengthening, filling. The divine work of God in this, in his people. Christ dwelling in us by his Spirit, which he does. And he equips us and strengthens us to do these things and to stand in the faith in these ways. Again, may he receive all the glory. But this brings us to Paul's fifth command in verse 14. He says, watch, stand firm in the faith, be brave and be strong, but what else? Let everything that you do be done with love. My friends, Paul has really championed this message, hasn't he? He has been masterful in showing us the essential importance of the undergirding and the work of love. Not only in our own hearts, but the hearts as a body of Christ. This is truly the greatest gift. It is the thrust of the sum of God's law. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. It heals and it undergirds true health in the lives and interpersonal relationships of believers, love does. Love heals divisions and factions and preserves unity and purity of the church. It undergirds and fuels biblical pastoral ministry to the saints. And therefore, the saints in Corinth needed to exercise the practice of love among them. Even as they did all of these strong and courageous things in watching and bravery and standing firm in the faith, it all needed to be done and undergirded with love, and that love needed to show forth in whatever they did. Beloved, love must not only reign in our hearts, but it also must show forth in our lives, even in our defense of the faith of the gospel. And so Paul goes on in in verse 15 and 16 to now talk about devotion and devotion in serving the saints. And he uses Stephanus as an example. Look at verse 15, I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you also submit to such, and to everyone who works and labors with us. So as the saints in Corinth were well familiar with Timothy and Apollos, we saw that in The pastoral plans for visitation in the preceding context. They were familiar with their pastoral ministry among the church when it was first planted. So the saints were well familiar with Stephanus in their midst as he and his family were one of the seed families in the congregation. They had been there from the beginning. They were part of the formation of the church. They continued to be a vibrant part of the life of the church, we see wonderfully. If you recall, Paul from uh, chapter 1, verse 16 of this letter, he said this. He he said, The household of Stephanus was one of the few, if not the only household that Paul baptized in Corinth. And note that Paul says in verse 15 that his household was, quote, the first fruits of Achaia. What does that mean? Well, they were one of the first in the country to receive the gospel. Know that Paul also uses these same words, the first fruits of Achaia, to describe uh, Aponatus in Romans 16, verse 5. Again, he was part of the Lord's grace and blessing and building there as well. But what did Paul say was true of Stephanus and his family? They, quote, devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. They weren't bump-on-the-log Christians who were part of the starting of the church but really did nothing in the service to the church, but rather they devoted themselves. They were all in in ministry. This was their God-given passion and commitment. It was a a desire that came from their hearts. It was a God-given fire that was in their belly to serve in such ways. Some scholars believe that Stephanus was in the local leadership of the Corinthian church, possibly a deacon, and therefore involved in mercy ministry to the saints, and that that was what uh, Paul was referring to in his ministry, as well as also that being connected uh, and the possibility in his office holding because of the submission he calls them to. And therefore, as this is who he was, and this was his devotion. What did the Corinthians' response need to be? As it was possibly true that they weren't giving Stephanus the proper respect that he was due in his office and ministry, they needed to change that. And they needed to submit to him and all others that ministered to the body, along with Paul, along with Timothy, along with Apollos. Again, they needed to be mindful that the party spirit divides the church. They needed to get rid of that and to wholeheartedly submit to the ministry of the men that God had called and put in place to serve them. You know, we need to hear and be reminded of this today as well. Sometimes challenges or temptations rise up in our own hearts to reject and and not welcome or to dismiss the biblical ministry of leaders in the church as they are trying to be faithful and caring for you and your family instead of submitting to them. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, the writer says this, Obey those who rule over you and be, what? Be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So we see this command, this encouragement, not only to the life of Corinth, but to the life of all of God's saints in all churches everywhere. As biblical leadership is put in place, as biblical leadership is seeking to shepherd and to guide and to encourage and to comfort and to care for you, submit to them. Take benefit of the blessing of God in his nurture and care of you. The blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ as he is caring and loving you through his instruments of grace, through his ministers and servants that serve you. And so as it was wonderful to have those devoted to ministry, it's also a blessing to be refreshed. By fellow believers. And this is what he talks about and speaks to in verse 17. And again, Stephanus is still connected with this notice. Look at verse 17. I am glad about the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, for what was lacking on your part they supplied. And so we see here that Paul was glad and thankful that Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus came to him in person. And why? because they were able to give Paul a more detailed and a more helpful report of the state of the Corinthian church by word of mouth. And that was much more clear. He was able to have follow-up questions and more detailed conversation with them than the information that he received from their letter. Beloved, in-person conversation is always helpful in providing a clear or clearer picture of whatever is being talked about. All right, even in comparison, oftentimes to talking on the phone or definitely by text, isn't it? Can you relate to that? Have you had these kinds of in person visits where you walked away from those being refreshed or encouraged, comforted? The clarity that comes may be encouraging, or it may confirm your concerns. But it often quiets the mind. It quiets anxieties within the heart, nonetheless. This is what Paul experienced. It helps focus thoughts and, and even future directions on what needs to be discussed and what needs to be done or even what path needs to be taken ahead. It can be very helpful in those ways. You know, one of the the good things that we do at Presbytery is to give reports on the status and health of the churches at the beginning, even before the meeting officially starts, before we officially have the call to order. And it's really good to hear those reports for similar reasons. Much more detailed reports than what you may hear in conversation or uh, through the grapevine or otherwise uh, throughout and in between meetings. It's good to hear those reports, to read those reports, both praises and concerns and prayer requests. It's good to, good to have those things. Helps inform us, even maybe helps calm any concerns or relieve any concerns or worries we may have. And this helpful report was good for Paul on a deeper level as well. Look at verse 18, for they refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore acknowledge such men. Their visit wasn't only informative, it wasn't only stress-relieving, but it was refreshing. It was encouraging, and it gave Paul comfort and, and rest in his spirit. It can be a hard thing when you plant a church, and then you go and do other ministry away from the church, and you hear about problems in the church, to not have concern and worry over the church. And yet, here are these three men that come to him, and they give them the, him this detailed report. And their time and experience with him refreshes Paul, and he knows here that they also refresh the people. There are three other men who the Lord used to bring refreshment in scriptures that I'd like to call your attention to this morning. One in Colossians chapter four, verses seven and eight. We hear this to be true about Tychicus. Paul says, Tychicus, a beloved brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. Tychicus was with Paul. He visited with Paul. He was ready to come back to the church and to give them a report on how Paul was doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose. And why? That he may know your circumstances and do what? And comfort your hearts. He was an encouragement to me and I'm sending you that he may be an encouragement and comfort to you. Again, hear this language just like we heard in the previous context of the pastoral visitations, an arrival, a visit, and then ascending. I'm sending him to you. Paul asked the saints in Corinth to do what? After he visited for a while or would visit, hopefully, if the Lord permitted for a while, that they would send him forth on his journey. In Philemon, chapter 1, Philemon only has one chapter, but verse 7, we read there, For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because, what, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Remember that Philemon was a minister in the church in Colossae. He was being used in a blessing there. Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, Indeed, I have all and abound, Paul said. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Epaphroditus came and he brought greetings. He brought things from the saints to encourage Paul in his visit. And so Paul recognized that the three men had been of great encouragement to him as they also were to the saints in their ministry to the body. And therefore, what did he encourage them to do? He encouraged them to make a public acknowledgement of them in the church. Recognize and thank them for their refreshing labors in their midst and praise the Lord for his grace to them in that. It is a good thing to be thankful for the Lord's grace in others in the body. It is a good thing to recognize the labors even of cold servants and ordained servants of Christ in the midst of the body. Not that they're puffing them up or they're putting them on a pedestal. It's prideful thing. No, it's it's a heartfelt, thankful thing. It's a joyful thing to see the Lord's grace in these ways and the fruit of it. I'll leave you with this. Hear and heed Paul's commands here, beloved, for watchful walking, for firm standing, for courageous resolve, to oppose any and all sin and corruption without on the outside, along with having eyes wide open to doing the same to any that is found within our body. We cannot walk day by day thinking that we are impervious. And that Satan will not try. Because he will and he is trying. But praise the Lord for his grace. And his work. And his protection. And his sanctifying grace in our lives. May that continue to be true. But may we have eyes wide open. All of this being done within the context and on the foundation of the love of Christ. This must be your commitment and practice individually and in your family and all of us together as a church. And therefore, may we examine well. May we respond rightly to anything that is found. And may we stand well in faith and the faith of the true and the pure gospel of Christ. But also see the blessings that Christ gives you through the faithful and devoted ministry of your pastor, your elders, and your deacon. Embrace them and don't reject them. Submit to them in the Lord and don't stand against or or make yourself aloof or distance yourself from them. Welcome them. Submit to them. Even if at times it makes you a little uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. As they're doing things biblically and in accordance with the Scripture, embrace them. Pray that the Lord would bless you as they serve you. And that, they would bless, that he would bless them. But also, and finally, praise God for the refreshing work of the Holy Spirit in and amongst us as his people. God uses his people to bless his people. And that's a wonderful thing. He uses his people to bless his people to encourage and to comfort and to lift us up when we are down or discouraged, even to come alongside when we're not down or discouraged. But we need that strengthening, that encouraging uh, comfort and company as we walk forward then together and even in more and more number, as the Lord would be pleased to add. It's good to recognize the Lord's gracious work in and through them to bring that about. And so praise him for it. Amen. Praise God for his word.